I carry 23 great wounds, all got in battle. 75 men have I killed with my own hands in battle. I scatter, I burn my enemies' tents. I take away their flocks and herds. The Turks pay me a golden treasure, yet I am poor because I am a river to my people. Hey, you're back with EGAT. I'm Paul. The guy who's about to talk and drop some knowledge is Kevin. My sidekick, my partner. <laughs> we go to war every week, Kevin. Oh, God, we sound like a play-by-play and, and color crew right now. That is, we've laughed about it before. I think we have on the podcast, but. Oh, we have. We have. Yeah, it's one of the things that I hated doing play-by-play is that one of the one of the things that made me so uncomfortable is having to kind of fit that that role. And, and it's just, it, uh, it's really tough to listen to. And you're right. I mean, think about Think about people that really have gone to gone to battle together or, you know, think of like a cop duo from the 80s and they're getting shot at. It's like, you know, I got your back, brother. I mean, come on. You're just calling a game. Yeah, it's on air conventions and they act like they're about to enter the Battle of Ramadi together. Jeez. And uh, it's just it's a whole, one of the many conventions that amuse you and I. And why kevin i've always admired you as a broadcaster you always tried to avoid those conventions so i have which is probably why a talk show is the only thing i can do uh and still get up in the morning and feel okay about it because yeah i mean and, and god bless people that that pull it off and, and don't have issues with it and some people want that i mean i think most people hear jim nance and they're like ah, it's kind of cheesy but some people are like no nah, it's really really homey and i like it well the upside you don't have to wear makeup anymore kevin yeah well, that is the upside, although, I mean, we're, we're doing Twitch now, so I think BK is actually putting on some makeup. No- a little eyeliner, a little a, lip gloss. A little eyeliner. He's He's got some blush on. I'm just thinking, come on, man. You know, it's funny. I, I found one of my – I was going through stuff, and I had it, like, in this old bag that I just thrown in a closet and was going through stuff and just complete spring cleaning, and there was still one of those makeup uh, – I don't know what they call it. Uh, pliers and I thought and I thought it was my last girlfriend and I'm like did she did she leave that I was like oh my god that was yours you 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 had one of those and needed one of those uh you flipped it over and you saw that it had been in, it, it was uh, ingrained with your name so yeah. it didn't get confused with the other talent <laughs> right. when you're all sitting at the desk exactly doing your doing your makeup during the break oh lord good times though i wouldn't be able to do this podcast either which i love and we love all the people that have been listening we've got a lot of good reviews people are subscribing which is nice so uh it's been fun it makes it easy for us to do this not that it wouldn't be easy you know if we didn't have anyone listening i agree yeah you and i'd probably chat if we were just talking into the void which we have done before <laughs> but, yeah uh, like high school teen you know teenagers yeah, you just end up with like the dorm room bowl session, right? You look up and it's you started you guys started chatting with your boys at seven, and you look up and it's three in the morning, and you've <laughs> talked about aliens and every every other possible subject. But uh, yeah, and what Kevin is referring to, of course, is it's a great help to the podcast. Everyone gets a trophy if you go to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you prefer to listen. iTunes is sort of the eight hundred pound gorilla still. If you go and you rate, subscribe, and review, it's enormously valuable to the podcast. It means a great deal to us. So please do that. Take care of us. We'll continue to take care of you. And uh, you mentioned blush earlier, Kevin. We had the spring football game. We finally got some football to talk about. Texas players and coaches have anything to blush about? Or was this just a typical glorified scrimmage? And we, d- we need to be cautious about drawing too many conclusions. Yeah, unfortunately, this can't be a good football team. I think they're going to be well coached. One thing that, that is not brought up enough that we should probably start with, Sark didn't call plays. So... The offense is going to look different, and it's going to have a different feel. Uh, I do think there's some worry with the offensive line, specifically the tackles with pass pro. Their run blocking um, was was adequate, and there were some good things there. Bijan's Bijan. We can get into the quarterbacks, but there, there are still holes on this football team. And so I think that's what they're trying to fill out, and they have since that game in the transfer portal and really trying to add some depth, but but – it's just, hopefully this is going to be the toughest job Sark has on offense as a coordinator and play caller, toughest job PK will have on defense until he really gets his guys, and there are going to be some holes in this team. they got to protect it. Yep, I think you're right. All right, well, I am going to play. We're switching roles for a moment, right? Often you're the expert setup man 
who throws it out and, and gets my opinion and, and then picks it apart. And you dunk it um, home. I, that's right. <laughs> that's exactly right. I, I linger on second, and I'm eventually thrown out uh, while I'm, for looking at grasshoppers while, while taking a lead off second. Uh, but I'm going to be the, the, the straight man, which is difficult for a guy living in San Francisco, but I'm going to be the straight <laughs> man here for a second. I'm going to ask you straight up, what's your overall impression of the defense from the spring game? Let's limit it, our comments to the defense, and then we'll switch the offense in a little bit. Okay, the defensive line will be the strength of this team, and you got to balance that out with what they did against the offensive line and definitely the second-team defensive line. This is going to be a good, good defensive line, and it's something that Kwiatkowski can work around and work from, and I think he will. He did that at times at Washington. So I, I'm – Overall, um, um, I'm pretty. I'm pretty actually impressed with that side of it. Now the linebackers we talked about, they just need to be average at best. They're trying to fill that out. I think they're going to fill that out. And Overshone didn't play. Um, and then the secondary, the the corners didn't get tested that much, and some of that could be the receivers. But they held up and made some plays on, including one that was you know we'll get to Casey Thompson, but was was thrown late. But they still made some plays. So overall. Um, I, I'm, I'm okay with the defense and I, ch- I really trust Kwiatkowski to, to come in and to be able to work with what he has. And that starts with the defensive line. Yeah, I think that's right. So let's talk about the defensive line. Moro Ajomo was really a standout yep. in the, in the scrimmage. He had three sacks, five tackles. Now that was largely against second and third teamers, although he did work uh, junior Engelau on one snap. Uh, but I, I want to ask you, Morrow, people will recall, he enrolled as an early uh, – I think he was an early enrollee, but he's also a young kid. He was 12. I mean, he, he was the Doogie Hauser of defensive linemen. Yeah, so Nigerians begin their schooling. They send their kids to school at four. That's, that's when their kindergarten begins in Nigeria. So I think Ojomo – Well, that makes sense here. with the students that I knew who were Nigerian. <laughs> that, that's exactly right, yeah. Uh, very uh, dutiful and also physically developed, typically ahead of us. So – um, so I, that's an element. He was a very young 17 when he arrived on campus at the university of Texas, he's added some maturity. He's added some strength. I think he's more explosive. I understand that there's the caveat of this is a zero sum game. I think Moro Jomo is ready to have a little breakout after being just solid last year. I do too. I really do think he's going to have plenty of bodies. Sweat didn't play. Collins is going to be good. I know we didn't call his name a lot. I think he would have had a sack on a Jet Bush sack. Uh, who got it? He got there before him, but they're going to be fine there. And and Kwiatkowski, if he's got guys like that, and especially some some war daddies, he can work off that. He he proved that, and so I'm I'm expecting good things from really from that side. Still worried about overall the secondary, but I mean I want to get your thoughts on them. Do you, did you feel like they held up? I didn't feel like the corners were necessarily tested that much. Well, so they did get thrown at some in RPO looks. They, they were asked to defend some slants. The um, post, not a ton of the Josh, Moore, the Josh Moore post, too. Exactly right. Um, and, of course, he dropped that one for a touchdown, mm. which is not a hickey on Casey Thompson for, mm. for obvious reasons. You know, one thing I got to say, I, I kept previewing for people when we talk about the cornerbacks coming in. I'm a little more hot. I'm a little more optimistic on what they could be, maybe than you were. You were. But the one thing, the one thing we both agreed on is that Deshaun Jameson is going to be well suited to this man zone concept that Kwiatkowski teaches, where you try to keep your eyes on the qu- quarterback and make an instinctive play on the ball when the quarterback maybe makes a, a gets a little too big for their britches with one of their throws. And I said Deshaun Jameson uniquely is gifted to punish Big 12 quarterbacks when they think they can just throw to a spot automatically and get their 10-yard gain. You nailed it because and, – and look, we're not trying to say that, that just because of a spring game, Jamison's going to be uh, the next big thing, but he looked a hell of a lot more comfortable. And, and clearly some of these guys are talented. It's not like the recruiting people missed on all these guys. And so he, is, he showed the best ball skills, and we talked about that, but – um, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about what you were talking about as I was watching it and thinking, how much of this is receivers? How much of this are, are some of these guys looking, just looking better? And Jamison does look a lot more comfortable. What, are, but what about your thoughts on the safeties? Well, safety, so uh, Brendan Schooler, obviously, <laughs> old B. John Robinson gave Brendan a tough time early in the game. Yeah. Uh, I, I, 
I don't hold one of those missed tackles against him. I mean, Brendan Schooler's pursuing to the edge. He's reading outside zone. And Bijan makes a, about as wicked a cut as a 215-pound man can make, puts his hand down, plants, and heads up field. I'm not sure how his knees survived the torque of that kind of cut. And Brendan Schooler, of course, flies right by him, right? And people are like, oh, he's got he's to pursue better. He's got to make that tackle. I'm like, hey, man, there's not a coaching point there. I mean, I don't think you can make that tackle. Now, Bijan did shrug him off on an earlier move where he, he sort of just threw an amazing fake at Brendan, got him flat-footed, and just ran around him. Uh, Brendan's got to be better on that. But other than those, I actually thought Schooler played well, and I understand why the coaches are, are excited about him. Uh, Jaron Thompson made a great play, timed up a, a blitz off the corner, Actually got one-on-one with Wiley yeah. and just ran through that guy, which is not good for Wiley. That's not going to – I mean, that's, talk about the zero-sum game, right? You're excited at seeing Jaron Thompson beat a guy 60 pounds heavier. You're not excited that the guy 60 pounds heavier is wearing burnt orange and white. Th- that play, I think, summed up everything I don't like about spring games because you're exactly right. That was the zero-sum play and maybe the Thompson pick with Jamison, but more that because – I'm thinking because I've got high hopes for Wiley, but he's going to have to, like most tight ends, you got to be good enough at both of those elements. And that's an incredibly tough thing to do to ask someone to be an inline blocker, but also be a really good receiver. And yeah, when he blew him up, I just thought, ah, shit. Yeah. Well, I tell you what. So I, I watched the game. I wrote kind of a quick first impressions on Inside Texas. And then I went back and looked at it again. I looked at, you know, the YouTube cut up that was more efficient. So you just look at each play. I didn't notice B.J. Foster in my initial impressions. And then on my rewatch, I didn't really notice B.J. Foster. Yeah. What's going on with Mr. Foster? I watched it twice as well. And I, did, I should have done the second version like you, but I just rewatched it and fast-forwarded through stuff. And I, I specifically was looking for him because that was one of the things we talked about on the show um, after our first initial impressions. And I don't know. I mean, I, you know, he's one of those guys that – he flashed early on, and I even remember him in high school in one of those high school all-star games playing deep safety and doing it pretty well and pursuing and actually playing the ball pretty well in the air. I mean, you could tell he definitely brought the wood and was a hitter. I, I was hoping Kwiatkowski could use him as more of a kind of safety hybrid linebacker, those guys he brings close to the box, but I don't know. I mean, do, do you give up on him? I mean, you, any hopes at all? No, yeah, I do. I still have hopes. Look, I mean, we're we're talking about a world in which John Harris in the spring game back into the Charlie Strong years was running third team receiver, and in fact was the only scholarship player out there with the walk-ons at the end of the spring game as punishment because <laughs> the coaches perceived him as not working hard enough. Over the course of that off season and through fall camp, he became the number one receiver. That's a great point. Yeah. So. Stuff happens, and you and I, we like to look in our crystal ball. We like to be prognosticators. But the longer we do this, the more we find enough counterpoints that nobody really knows, do they? So we'll wait and see on BJ. I mean, the the athletic ability and potential has sort of always been there. It's just never happened for him. Yeah, BK BK will laugh at me. He's like, come on, man. You can't just say that none of us are going to know. And I said, well, I'll give you you a take, and then I'm going to just remind us all of that. And I'll remind us all of that whenever I get stuff right, too. Um, That at the end of the day, we just don't know. But, uh, yeah, I'm hoping there will be guys like that that, that, will flash. Anyone else on defense stand out? I mean, I guess we haven't talked about the linebackers. So what was your take from what we saw from Jet Bush and crew? I thought David Benda. Yep kind of gave us what we needed, which is you don't really notice him. And at the end of the game, he's got seven tackles in the box score. And he ran around. He cleaned stuff up. He's not perfect. He doesn't take super technical angles to the ball or anything like that. But he fights and he scraps and he's pretty athletic. And, hey, man, that might be the average that we need as an off-ball linebacker. If we compare that with DeMarvian Overshone and his instincts and his ability to play make. So, uh, that's the potential upside of that crew. Jalen Ford did not play well. Uh, I didn't notice him on my first viewing. On my second viewing, he didn't play well. And i um, trying to think what else. Jet Bush, those guys. So we can talk about the edge a little bit. Yep. The, the edge guys played a little better than I thought. Um, now that could be some zero-sum game again. But what I did notice is that they just moved better and looked stronger than I anticipated. 
Ray Thornton is a dude. I think he's got to get some better conditioning. He's also a one-speed pitcher when it comes to his pass rush, and I want to see more. Uh, but I thought Jacoby Jones, a guy you and I have you know, some hopes for and some fondness. We've always kind of wondered when it might come together for him. Uh, I thought he played well. I thought he gave us some good snaps, and I think he's a guy who could play outside, get some pressure. He may not always finish the play, but he can flush the rabbit. And then also he's big and strong enough now that you can put him in on a five technique on a passing down. Yeah. And he can hold up and then maybe present some quickness issues for the interior offensive lineman. I think that's well said. I, I agree with all that. And, yeah, you were the one who, you know, I, I was high on Jones, and then you had told me like a year, year and a half ago that, that yeah, I, I'm still hearing some good things about him. And so especially with the coaching staff, once I lost faith in them, you, you, you can start to believe and keep the faith with the players, you know? Well, I think that's right. And look, here the, the coaches, they're not delusional about the deal at, at both edge and also the off-ball linebacker. And, and by the way, in Kwiatkowski's defense, it's very difficult to talk about the linebackers versus the defensive ends. I mean, uh, let's just call them off-ball linebackers and let's call them edge rushers, right, or edge players. Yeah. And – and in his defense, that could be any that edge guy could be anywhere from Prince Dorba, who's 225 pounds, to Jacoby Jones, who's all of 260, 265. Uh, and similarly, the off-ball linebackers, those are guys like David Benda, uh, Luke Brockermeyer, of course, DeMarvian Overshone. You notice in the transfer portal, uh, his powder dry from when he first got here. He resisted the impulse to take her that wanted to come to Texas, kept some of those scholarships, and you saw in the last week, Texas has added two linebackers, one of them an off-ball guy, potential, and one of them an edge guy. And so it's pretty clear that the coaches, they aren't drinking the burnt orange Kool-Aid on linebacker and edge. They, they, they're going to keep adding bodies until they find what they need. I think you're exactly right. Ben Davis, uh, he was a five-star at Alabama and is a guy who uh, you know we thought he was going to be coming here. They made it official. He's going to come here. Alabama is one of those few schools for me you know, speaking of watching sports forever like we have, it was easy for the, remember Juan Kemp transferring down from Michigan? Um, mm -hmm. Guys like that, you just expected, well, they went to a big school, they're going to be good. But there's always time, legitimately, the guy could have been starting at most places, but he didn't get any time because there's a bunch of other five stars. Clearly, he didn't live up to the number 10 player overall, but how do you expect them to use 6'4", 240 around there in that system, and, and what kind of hopes do you have for him? So his, he's an edge guy. He was a five-star, as you said. He never really did much at Alabama. A lot of that was due to injury. Right. And I think the fact that Sark took that transfer tells you, because Sark had eyes on Ben Davis, and when Ben was healthy, uh, obviously Ben was one of the guys on the second team, right, going against Sark's offense. And so – he had an opportunity to see him under live fire, and he at least thinks he represents a potential advantage over what we have on the roster. Right. So kind of like the Michigan wide receiver transfer that we had high hopes for last year, if, if you've been beset by injury and it's depleted your, your athletic ability that kind of made you special, then eh, you know, maybe you're not going to have a chance for impact. But then there's always that late that late. Uh, grad transfer who finally gets healthy and then and they show out for that one year and live up to their potential so obviously Sark's hoping for the latter yeah I think your point is the best point and it's why I can buy it because well he was there not only was he there but so he he saw him he was you know going up against him uh, I think you bring up a great point playing on the second team so um, yeah I mean I'm hoping they can fill that out he talked about that a little bit yesterday when he was talking to the media he said that we're going to try and continue to add depth and there are some some spots that they need to do that. And I think specifically I would look at linebacker, uh, look at safety, and I would look at wide receiver. Now they helped out, helped that out a little bit with Xavier Worthy. But one thing before we get to the offense, what about, because we, we talked about this a little bit, how should they fill out the last five or six spots? Would you take a quarterback knowing that he'd be a backup, maybe some smaller school guy who could be insurance in case one of these guys goes into the portal? You know, that's a great question, and we can talk about that. And let's, let's put a pin in that and circle back to that when we talk offense gotcha. and the quarterback. Okay. Because how you manage Card and Thompson, if, 
if we bring in a grad transfer quarterback, obviously it will be sold publicly as like, hey, we just need to flesh out the depth chart. You know, Charles Wright's not ready for prime time. Should should the should the, the unforeseen and unfortunate happen to us? But I think the truth is, if Texas does bring in that grad transfer quarterback, the coaches are giving you some preparation for who they think is in the lead for that quarterback job. So let's let's circle back a pin in that one because that's a great question it opens up a big big can of worms and it, it uh, does and, and it'll give us some insight so if are you good with the defense and, and can I switch to the offense yeah I'm all good um trying all to right. think if there's anyone else that we missed I think we uh maybe very quickly Keandre Coburn he's the Keandre that I saw last year which is he you saw a couple of good honest bull rushes where he really drove Jake Majors back out of the quarterback and you know what he got tired. Yeah, and I know. And then he was, he was a little – you know, Keandre is always trying his hardest. It's not about being slothful or, you know, quitting on – you know, resting on the field or any of that nonsense. It's – he runs out of gas. He goes yeah. real hard, and he runs out of gas, and he's got a big engine. He's just got to make the affirmative decision in the next four months that he wants to be a problem for other offenses. And if he wants to be a problem for other offenses, he's got to get in better shape. No doubt. And I think that the media uh, – the media, when they're talking to the coaches, that's even come out without saying it, that he's just got to – because he was at 348 last year. I think they're trying to get him and Sweat both in the 320s, and you hit the nail on the head. Uh, we just need him to be more Keandre on that first snap and get that on the fifth or sixth snap and to actually get to those snaps. So if, if they can do that, then I feel really good because I think PK knows when he looks at him, he had some war daddies at – uh, at UW, and I'm not saying he's that, but damn, he's close. Uh, well, I think you're right, and a very similar athletic profile. Someone like uh, the Levi, uh, I'm going to butcher his last name, Anzarike. Yep. And uh, uh, I mean, very profile similarly to Keandre Coburn. Yeah, and he's and, and he's not he's not uh, he's not Greg Gaines, who have actually played on the outside a little bit, but um, he had some guys like that. Um, no one is who's the cat I'm thinking of, uh, the Samoan who's with Tampa Bay now defensive. Oh tackle. God. Yeah. 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 Uh, gosh, dang I it. I, I know talk, exactly I, what you're talking about. I talked about this guy on the air as a freshman nonstop. Uh, I just referenced him the other day. Oh man. I'm, I'm all right. We're going to circle back on that. I'm so angry. Our listeners are screaming into their phones right I know, now. I know. Like you idiots. It's blah, blah, blah. Vita Vea. Vita Vea. And yeah. I, I will say this. I was looking it up, but I'm not even there yet. And as I'm sometimes when you look it up and you know you're about to get there, and you'll play this game just by yourself, it's like all of a sudden your brain wants to beat it. And yeah, it's it's gotta be Vita Vea. That's it. And I knew it was alliteration. I knew it was something something like va 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 or B B B or something. So got it. Thank you, Kevin. Awesome catch. Um great name. Hey. All right, let's get to, you want to get to the offense or you want to talk something well, else for them? Before we get offensive, I want our listeners to go on the offensive with their real estate. Nice. Time for our listeners, particularly those living in the Centex era, area, to look at what your house is worth in this market. Now, even if you're not thinking about selling or you're kind of debating it and having these little knowing looks with your wife or your significant other, or you're, you're single and you're killing it, and you already own a house in Centex and you're looking at what it might be worth and you want to upgrade or move or, or whatever, it's worth it to get a comparative market analysis. The person you should do that with is from the Andy Allen group with Keller Williams. That's Laura Baker. You can reach her at 512-784-0505. She's going to show you how to maximize the return on your listing. And I can tell you, Kevin, right now, as someone who is in the market in Austin, I'm selling my, my house. Uh, the, the market is crazy. It is a moving target. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have a real estate agent who's very thoughtful, very driven and tactically sound, you're going to be behind the market and because that market is moving up. And so what you want to do is have a strategy and a plan for optimizing the return on your house and also the optimal pricing for your house. And sometimes that optimal pricing is not always setting it at a huge anticipatory number. It's actually putting it at a more modest number in an enticing way and creating a bidding war. And You've got to get a smart, experienced realtor. That's what Laura is. Call her at 512-784-0505. And once you've done that, and you, you, you're going to go ahead and, of course, get a mortgage, we know the guy to call. His name's Gabe Winslow. 
don't hold it against him that he loves baseball like Kevin. Mm. He's still a good guy. He's a smart man. Uh, he is a smart man. You know, his sports, well, is- his sports love makes sense for how good he is and how smart he is as a businessman. Well, and he is a sabermetrician in the finance and mortgage world. I'll, right. I'll give him that. And, uh, yeah, Gabe is a smart guy. He's a former National Merit Scholar. And he graduated from UT in three years. And you and I were on the, uh, what, four-and-a-half-year plan, five-year plan? Yeah, I don't know how. I mean, I did the reality show, but I was on pace. So I actually only went eight semesters. I was on pace to do four years. And I remember thinking, that's probably why I did Real World. I just remember thinking, wait a minute, I wanted to be on a five-year plan. I, don't, I didn't even know how it happened. But three years, get the hell out of here. Yeah, that's that's far too motivated and sharp for me, right? Uh, what, who's what's he trying to prove? Yeah, who are you? Anyway. Oh, I know who well, you are. Him. You can save me a lot of money. That's it. That's it. Let him prove that to you. Call Gabe at eight three two five five seven one zero nine five. That's eight three two five five seven ten ninety five. Here's the deal. I, I'm gonna put this little bug in all the listeners' ears. I want you to think about it. Give Gabe a call now with the anticipation of a refi or either you're gonna buy a new home. He thinks. This is his strong belief that there's going to be some favorable moves in terms of pricing in the next two to three weeks. Okay. If you want to nail that, if you're that guy or gal and you want to nail the absolute best possible uh, scenario for yourself, either for a refi, and there's still plenty of people out there who need to refi. And if you, have, if you put it off, you need to go do this and put some money in your pocket and put some money to work. Or if you're buying a new home, I want you to call Gabe now, get your application in now, and then he is going to call you and tell you when the optimal time is to pull the trigger, and that's going to be in the next couple of weeks. So all of you guys, just I can't be more specific than that, but 832-557-1095. Set yourself up success with Laura Baker and Gabe Winslow. Good work, my man. You've really uh, become a pro. Although it is easy, uh, easier. I've done enough spots in my life, which is why I, I only do spots now for people that I like or that I really believe in the business because it makes it so much easier for you. Well, that had to be difficult early in radio. It right? was. Before, like, yeah, because I would just take anything. Because you're kind of the BSD of Austin Sports Radio. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, I mean, no, I'm, I'm being serious. You're, right. you're the dude. Oh, I know. I, you're being I, I, humble. I well, I appreciate that. I honestly don't even. You know, you know the way I operate, man. That's like the last thing I'm on. You know, on my you're brain. just trying to do your thing. But yeah. as a result, you're good at what you do, and and the the ad rates show it. But always that guy. No. And you probably had to do some advertisements where you're like, oh, really? <laughs> I mean, Paul, it, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, early on, you you you'll take anything. And my first go at it at another radio station years ago in the early 2000s, I look back at some of the stuff and I just thought, oh, my God. But you know what? You're young. You're broke. I mean, you'll do anything, you know? Well, Joe Rogan, who, of course, famously sold his, his podcast rights to Spotify for $100 million, And before that, he was drawing ad revenue you know, in the millions per month. Yeah. He started off his podcast, and I was an early Joe Rogan listener. He was selling the Fleshlight. You're kidding me. You know what a yeah, that was his first big sponsor, the Fleshlight. And I'm not going to go into deep detail about what a Fleshlight is. Look it up. But let's just say it's a tool that you use uh, to make yourself calm. Let's just, yeah, <laughs> let's say that if you know Austin, you can get it at Dreamers. Yeah, you can go get it at Dreamers. You can get it off of several uh, CD establishments still off of I-35 before right. they get leveled and built up with condos. But <laughs> Yeah, that's how Joe Rogan began, and now he's like uh, advertising Square and you know, uh, and all these premier Silicon Valley advertisers. So, hey, man, it's all a journey, and the journey for the University of Texas of Steve Sarkeesian continues. Kevin Dunn, let's talk offense, my man, and we're going to bury the lead. We're going to talk quarterbacks at the end. Mm. We're going to try to resist our impulse to be like talk radio hot shock jocks, right? right. All right. Yeah, this is, this is unlike writing an article where you put all the good stuff up top in case it gets cut, right? That's right. We're going to make you guys eat your vegetables first, and then we're going to then we're going to give you dessert at the end. So let's talk running backs. Bijan Robinson. Let's all agree he's overrated. Yeah, very much so. Um, I don't think he cuts very well. I don't like his vision. <laughs> I, I think he's got no peripheral vision. Hey, one thing on that setup with Schooler. His eyes were still to the outside. Like, I mean, he's one of those guys. Ricky would do that a lot, and he's not Ricky yet, so so save the emails. But, man, there are some similarities with the great backs that we've been fortunate enough to see, not only in college football, but here in Austin. 
Like there's just a feel, and it's like he's he's playing he's playing three steps ahead, and he's setting stuff up. Well, the great running backs, they don't look at the tackler in front of them. They're not worried about that guy. They're going to run through that guy or around that guy. They're trying to set up the pieces two and three steps beyond. And you're absolutely right. Uh, Bijan's amazing. Hey, if I'd set the over-under for Bijan touches at 14 for the scrimmage, that's receptions plus carries, would you have said the under? Yeah, I would have taken the under. I just, I, I mean, I thought they were going to uh, – and also I didn't know about the ankle – that I I figured that we'd see a little bit of him, and it's like, yep, he's really good, and especially after he looked so good early on. I, I thought they were going to put him in bubble wrap. Hey, Kevin, uh, we knew about the ankle, man. Uh, we're Longhorn insiders. I know. Like, we're going to edit that. We're going to edit that. We're going to edit that. Okay. I know. No, what? No, no, you did, and and, and actually, I got it from y'all. So um, no, I, I'm just I'm teasing. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, I didn't know where he was in the healing, and he was like, oh, yeah, it's still tweaking me a little bit. That's what um, I meant. Yes. Yeah, so 14 touches. Hey, man, I know we're in the honeymoon period with Sark. I know we're in the hun- and we're we're all in on Stan Drayton as a dude. Uh, what's up, coaches? Is that a good idea? Oh, come on. You know what? It's okay. And if anything, Texas fans were so pissed and understandably so, especially once it got to a certain factor where he needed to get more touches. First couple weeks, it's like, all right, you know, we'll ease him into it. But maybe he was answering that. I mean, I, I think what what I do like about it is. It's that try and keep this thing as competitive as possible. And I think he did that by keeping a guy like Bijan in there, even though there were other backups that, that were especially getting more time as it went on. Um, yeah. I mean, if he would have gotten severely hurt, I'd probably be singing a different tune. So, but yeah, he, but he didn't. Well, yep. You're right. Uh, so let's go to Roshan Johnson, Roshan. I mean, so God, man, talk about like a good room of guys, right? Yeah. John Robinson, Roshan Johnson. It'd be fun to go to work every day being their coach. They're going to be all cheery and team first and positive and super coachable. That's Roshan. Roshan, if you notice. I didn't know it was 15, but I could definitely tell he lost some weight. And I'm cool with that. I mean, he's such a tough runner. And technically, he's so sound. Uh, you know, in terms of ball security, high and tight, and I like I like his pad level for the most part. So I don't think that's going to affect him that much. It may give him a little bit more juice. Yep, I think you're right. I I'd also love you and I have a pet peeve, the, uh, Sark. Even though it was very vanilla in the scrimmage, and some of it was just checkdowns, uh, they did feature the running backs in the passing game, and yeah. I, I enjoyed seeing that. In fact, there were a couple of little plays where. We were trying to get the running backs loose, and I don't, I don't think Casey Thompson saw the play develop, and there could have been a, a potentially big gain. Finally, Gabe Watson, the transfer, uh, we finally got to see him. What do you think about that guy? Is he a like, reliable third-team plow horse, middle reliever kind of guy? Yeah. You know, I mentioned the defensive line being the deepest and the best, and I still believe that, but the running back room's right there, and certainly on the offensive side, it's not even close. That's the one you think. Because you can throw in Danny Young. Gabe Watson, I mean, is kind of the Ron McKelvey of uh, Texas football here, like Kevin Watler. I mean, how, <laughs> you know, uh, how old is this guy going to be? It's too bad we're not playing BYU this year because we may have, an, uh, have a slight advantage. So I like him in the room. I think that room's fantastic. This is a, an easy year for Stan Drayton. Yeah, well, Gabe Watson and the Ron McKelvey tip um... – Real name, Ishmael Horowitz. <laughs> oh, God, I know. I feel bad now because I didn't mean to throw Gabe in with that. I should I should have picked another older player. But I, I, I guess I was picturing more Gabe drinking straight black coffee in the morning. Well, I, it's, you don't expect to get, get that kind of production from a yeshiva transfer. But <laughs> nonetheless, there he is out there plugging along. All right, let's talk about tight ends and plugging along. Jared Wiley, obviously making a push uh, as a first-team tight end. We ran a lot of 12 personnel. And I think part of that was to work on the running game, which the coaches have emphasized. It's also a way to protect some of the, the play calling, I think, and, and some of the protections. But Jared got a lot of run. I was not super pleased with Jared as a pass defender. I thought he was adequate as a run blocker. He had a couple of catches. This isn't the jump that you and I were hoping Mr. Wiley would make. No, and I, I'm, maybe some of that is the, because of the play calling, getting back to that that maybe Sark will be able to free him up on stuff. But, yeah, I, I expected more. Certainly, as a run blocker, he's not there yet where he's one of those guys that that he can do both enough. And mm-hmm. so I'm I'm a little worried because I think he's the most talented guy. What do you, what did you think about Cade Brewer? 
Cade Brewer has trimmed up a lot, and man, it shows. He is moving better, and here's the crazy thing, Kevin. All that weight was useless weight because it didn't make him a better blocker. He is blocking Great exactly point. the same. Great he point. He is blocking exactly the same or better at a 15 or 20-pound lighter weight. You're exactly right about that, and and I, I thought Cade looked good. It was good to see. He's obviously got to stay healthy, um, but I was definitely more impressed with him than I was with Jared Wiley, and right now – you know, I still think Wiley could be a bigger threat if if he can make that jump that you talked about earlier and if Sark can kind of get him free on some good matchups. But Cade would be a guy that, that I that I trust right now, a solid tight end. Let's talk about the big Juan. Juan Davis. Yes, sir. Little, little shifty, little tricky, little little trickle out into the flat, a little misdirection in the in the backfield, flip it out to him. Two times, two catches. Two guys made to miss the initial tackler. And it's not that the initial tackler was an idiot and broke down in a stupid way or anything like that. The guy is a little shifty and he's got some movement skills. I dig it. I do too. I like him a lot. And I think he's a guy who that Sark's going to have a lot of fun with. And he was a guy, I want to say he was uh, four by uh, 400 or what was he? What did he run? Yeah, I don't think he ran the hundred. I think he was, a, he was, he was definitely a track guy. I don't it think was relay. Was a, uh, it was relay. Yeah, I don't think he's a speed guy. I think he's a movement guy. He's got a little bit of that J- little Jordan Humphrey where you size him up and he's a little quicker with his feet than you think as a tackler. So that's why, and so I remember him coming out, I think Fort Worth, and I do remember hearing about the relay stuff and thinking, okay, he's going to be a straight-line guy. And I, 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 made, I was more surprised with him maybe than anyone because I just had a different impression of him. And you're exactly right. It was much more quick feet and dancing and I'm excited about him. Uh, LJ is a good little comparison there. Yeah. Juan Davis from Everman, Texas. Everman get a trophy. Everman. Okay. Everman get a trophy. Uh, Love it. All right. Finally, Gunnar Helm. Gunnar Helm, man. That dude looks good on the hoof. And I got to say this about Tom Herman. There's a lot of things he did wrong. That's uh, why he's not the coach of Texas anymore. One thing he did right was the preferred walk-on program. We've talked about the rejuvenation of that group, and it showed in that scrimmage at multiple positions. Jet Bush, Luke Brockermeyer, Kai Money, uh, even Patrick Bayout had some good snaps with the third-team defensive line. And also, Herman did miss on some guys that he should have gotten, right, particularly the, the last class. But I got to say, they did a pretty good job on their backups, on their three stars. You know, Herman has hit on a number of these guys, and – I I wonder if Gunnar Helm might be one of these guys. I think he could be. Um, you know, I mean, I, I liked what I saw. And do, do you think he's a guy? Do do you flex him out a little bit? He's a size that you would think he could put his hand down eventually, but that's as much about temperament and and you know strength and power as anything else. So right. yeah, right now you can flex him out. He can run. He's got he's got sort of that you know the the guys who you always have these sort of West Coast ish tight ends who these guys who played volleyball in high school, yep. right? And they, and they have that timing and that ability to get down the field. Uh, some of that Mike Gesicki type guy. Yeah, good call. Played for Penn State. Maybe uh, he's got some of that, but ultimately he's 6'5 and, and some change and 245 right now as a true freshman. So I got to think that number on his weight is only going to trend up and his strength is going to grow. So let's, let's uh, just throw him in the machine, see what, see what it spits out. Now we got to eat our vegetables. This group. Did improve as the skim- scrimmage progressed, but let's talk wide receiver. What jumped out to you? Oh, uh, what jumped out? I mean, we talked a little bit about the Josh Moore drop. Uh, I still have worry, you know, um, I still worry about these guys just getting open. And and some of that will be scheme, and the scheme's going to have to help them get open a little bit. But, I mean, the guy who stood out the most was Jordan Whittington. So uh, that's another guy, too. Were you surprised how much you saw of Jordan Whittington? You would have taken the under on that, right? Well, I liked his evolution. I mean, look, they're, if they think he's healthy, they're going to play him. Right. You know, you really can't, you can't put the guy in bubble wrap. And you also want to create a culture in the team where you're not coddling certain guys. You also want to be strategic, of course. So I think they're trying to get Jordan Whittington integrated, and they're trying to make him into a guy. I think they want him to be their possession receiver, their chain mover, and not just a screen game, you know. I mean, really, we'd relegated Jordan Whittington to about two different throws last year. and. Yeah. He's capable of much more, and I think he showed a little bit of that in the scrimmage. Um, obviously, there were some nerves early in the scrimmage. We had several drop balls. Uh, Josh Moore didn't, did not complete the touchdown. 
If he does complete the touchdown, I'll call him Joshua Moore, as he prefers. <laughs> uh, and then we saw, of course, Marcus Washington, who bills and sells himself as, like, reliable possession guy. Yeah. Reliable possession guy can't drop a perfect throw from Hudson Card on an RPO. No, he can't. And I- I'm hoping for good things out of Marcus Washington. I was hoping this staff could maybe unlock some stuff. But he's got to catch that. Troy O'Meary's a guy I almost wish we could have seen him, you know, really in full contact. But his catch radius is going to help out whoever wins that job that we're going to get to here in a sec. That he's a guy that I, I do think is going to be, as long as he can stay healthy, a really good player next year. Kevin, he's bigger than most of our linebackers. He has a huge frame. He's got a catch radius. And he's one of these guys that it's hard, to, hard for me to articulate. Maybe you can help me. But he's a receiver who snatches the ball on the run. Yeah. And oh, there's, yeah. there's no sort of gathering, oh, the ball's here. Let me hesitate and gather it as I'm running. Let me, let me sort of slow my roll. He can snatch it out of the air. And so he might be a 4-5 guy, but he can run his full 4-5 and still catch the ball. Whereas a Brennan Eagles, famously, unless it's a straight fly route, he has to sort of gather and catch the ball. Right. That's well said. He does snatch it, and as he's still moving, and that fits perfectly with Sark's offense, which doesn't have many stop routes. They ran like a comeback route, which is funny because he says he hates curls. That wouldn't technically – it kind of was a curl. Um, but I think for the most part, that's what the offense is going to be. So he's going to be able to provide that. Hopefully Jake Smith can get back and get healthy, and those three with Whittington can, can at least be a good group. Who else did you see, and what else are you – I mean, Kelvante Dixon's a guy that I know both, both of us have been high on. What did you see from him? So I think he's a guy that's going to come out more to the fore when Sark puts in the full motion game, and he puts in all the eye candy. And so Kelvante is going to catch bombs, and he's going to catch screens. Yeah, or, and, or, and some, or some of those deep rainbow routes like he caught in the Alamo Bowl. Exactly right. So he's going to catch the ball downfield. And he's going to catch little flip outs off of motion and eye candy and reverse the eyes. And, and then you flip it out to Calvante, who makes it something happen. So he's not a complete receiver as such. He's not going to shine in a scrimmage where they're, they're full vanilla on the offensive side of the ball. And that's good. That's fine. I think we'll see what we have in Calvante better in the fall and, and certainly in early action. I still like his potential upside. We got to talk about Kai money. I mean, I understand he's a, a walk on uh, six catches, 79 yards. He led the, the both sides in receptions and touches. He was Hudson Card's number one receiver when, when they were paired together. And also Casey favored him a little bit. Kai obviously is a value add. It doesn't mean he's going to start, but, uh, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't say good job, Kai Money. Yeah, I mean, people forget that even with the loaded uh, great national championship caliber teams we've seen in our 30-something years of watching college football, and Texas will not be that next year, Um, but even with really good teams that are loaded at wide receiver, a lot of times there is a Matt Fryer to give you a 1993 Florida State reference when you had Kes McCorvey, Tamarick Vanover, and Kevin Knox, who were all three brothers that could go. You had little white Matt Fryer, who ended up being one of Charlie Ward's favorite targets, and it didn't make a lot of sense, but a lot of times those guys are really the piece of the puzzle that you need, can be consistent, especially if you have – don't have the Marcus Washingtons of the world giving you that. Yeah, I mean, you saw that with Hunter Renfro at Clemson. Right. Right. Yep. Uh, not super gifted. Now, he, he was a scholarship player, I believe. Yeah, he was, but but he didn't – you know, that's where we, we've given Clemson a lot of love. They've taken some guys that actually didn't get a ton of rides, and he was one of them. Now, yeah, that's, I think that's exactly right. Um, they have a player, and so he'll, he'll rise or, or fall based on his ability level, and that's, that's all you can really ask for for any staff. Offensive line, I don't want to go player by player. I will say this, Kevin, if it makes you feel any better. They did run block pretty darn well, generally speaking. Uh, and it's clear they've been working that. I, I, the, the first team offensive line played a little better than I think people think hmm. because they did mix the units pretty quickly and, and pretty liberally. And so a lot of the issues you, you saw uh, were against guys like Tyler Johnson, against the Rafiti Gramai when he got some snaps. Uh, uh, Denzel Okafor unfortunately had some issues particularly with Moro Ojomo but uh, Christian Jones actually played pretty darn well okay I'm I'm glad you said that 
yeah, I just, that excited me. It made me happy, and it kind of surprised me because I was watching the offensive line sort of globally, and I was like, this isn't good. And then I actually looked at who was in, who was matched up with who, and some of those guys played a little better on the first team than people think. That's good to hear. I trust your offensive – I trust all your, your evals, but especially uh, offensive line, you always do a good job of breaking it down. You understand how those parts work. And uh, I felt like on the second rewatch, I was like, you know what? Jones played pretty well, and, and I think he's going to be okay there because I am worried about the tackles. I think that's one of the reasons they're going to as much 12 personnel and two tight end looks is to help those guys out. You kind of referenced that a little bit earlier. I think that's dead on. I think that's why we've heard so much about that. But – Glad to hear about Jones. Um, what did you take from Jake Majors? Jake is good. I mean, he's, he's, to me, he's got that position locked down. He lost a couple of physics battle with uh, a frisky Keandre Coburn, right. right, who's feeling it. When, when Keandre, you know, they talk about dogs having the zoomies, you know, when your, your dog gets fired up and does like a run, like yeah. where they just keep repeating the same pattern. Yeah. Keandre Coburn, he has the zoomies on the first couple of snaps of any possession where he's been resting. And then after that, he gets a little more manageable. And when, when he's got the zoomies, he's, he's hard to handle. And Jake felt all of that. He lost the physics equation. But once uh, Keandre ran around the dog park a couple of times, Jake was able to handle him. <laughs> That's so, funny. I, I still like Jake's mobility. And again, I think people need to realize the strength of this offensive line is their athleticism and their feet. And Sark is going to use that when he puts in the real offense. It's not going to be fire out and beat the guy in front of you like Tom Herman, right? It's, it's going to be about utilizing space, utilizing their feet, and how that interplays with Bijan Robinson and his ability to cut and use his vision. I think that's well said. And one thing with majors, too, we knew this, too. It's not like it was anything that was unlocked on Saturday. But because of who he is, he is a true strength and weakness guy. And by that, I mean if you play to his strengths and, and allow him to use that mobility – and reach block and hell even go Stepnoski and have a couple schemes in there where he may maybe pulling um, that which you don't see a lot from a center then he's going to be but the scouting report on him and the way to get to him will be to put his cave cave in so that's where you got to play to that weakness and always have protection and, and expect that to be what people are going to try and do yep and you got to you got to teach the quarterbacks that they've got to realize that matchup and throw on time and they've got to understand how to set up their offensive line for success. Right. So that's our segue to quarterback. I don't think we need to beat this to death. What, what are your impressions? What did you see there? And then do you see anyone having a, a slight edge? Uh, I do always get a kick because there's people I really respect who can have hardcore opinions about it. Uh, your colleague, Ian Boyd, who we both like and respect a lot. I know he's definitely on the Hudson card train and full force and I mean I get it with arm talent and and I don't know if any I, I don't think anyone won the job even secretly for Sark on Saturday uh there's some good and some bad from both Casey Thompson started off hot you know once he did throw a pick it felt like his confidence level dropped a little bit we talked about that on the afternoon show that that he he came in supremely confident and you could hear that so that's something that he's going to you're going to have to have a short memory on stuff like that and keep that confidence level up. He was late at times. I thought he checked down well, though, and and managed the offense for the most part pretty well. Now, he was going up against uh, or had all the ones with him, which I think is a huge thing we can talk about because Hudson Card was scrambling. That second-team offensive line is not deep, and, and there are definitely some holes there going up against the Texas second-team defensive line. So card talent-wise, the touchdown throw, um, great anticipation, definition of throwing someone open, like the vision, like the ball. A good DB plays through that and knocks it down. But there, there, there are some good things to take from both. Did you feel like anyone won the, won the battle? Did Hudson Card impress you more? Yeah, slightly. So here's what I saw. Casey got the first series, he played with the best personnel, and he got the most work. He had 43 passing attempts. Right. And the coaches were playing him late in the game to, to basically let him show his wares. Now, you could argue that Sarkeesian and the coaches are trying to give Casey the opportunity, the more experienced quarterback. They're giving him the opportunity to win the job with all, with all of that setup. Right. Here's an alternative view. They already think Card is the better player. Yes. And they had to do all those things to level the playing field so it's not apparent to Casey. 
I think you, I think you're dead on, and I think that's what it is. I mean, the reason that Casey had the advantages in this thing was to keep this a race, and I, I think that you do that for a couple reasons. So you can say, well, you're manipulating the situation and trying to set it up where Casey doesn't know guys, so he doesn't put his name in the portal, because then you're going to be screwed. Um, that could be part of it, and I think that is a uh, part of it. But also, it's the same reason Bijan and Jordan Whittington were getting so much action and so many reps and even playing late into the game is because you got to keep that competitive nature. And I think the thing that Sark understands now after being at Alabama that he got at USC with Carroll, but in a different way, is that you got to these people got to be fighting for their job and their life, their football life every single day. And that's how you really raise the bar. And that's how you sharpen a team to where you get to the point once you have the talent talent in there that you see kind of what Bama does, where they just come out and they just beat the shit people because the game is so much easier than what it was during the week. So I think it's both those things, and I do think you're exactly right, though. I mean, I think they, they see the arm talent because I don't think anyone, even the Casey Thompson people, would be debating that Hudson's got a more special arm. Yeah, I think that's right. And they would also, but they would point out, of course, that quarterbacking is much more than that. And, and you and know so, what? They're right about that. They are right. They're absolutely right. And it's the best possible argument for Casey Thompson. Here's the, the thing that hurts the Casey Thompson cell. If you understand that your cell is experienced, game managing quarterback who was, with some athletic ability and I can make some things happen for you outside the pocket or on the edge or even to complement the running game. And I can do boots, and I'm, I'm mobile, I've got good uh, sweet feet, all that, the things that Casey has. Part of your sell is that you take care of the ball, Kevin. Yeah. And what we have seen from Casey, and this isn't just the first time on the spring practice with the, the pick six to Deshaun Jameson, he puts the, pair, the ball in pair of the hashes. And that's not just an accuracy issue. I don't think it's an accuracy issue. It's an arm issue. He does not have the ability to spin the ball. People think arm strength is about how far you can throw the ball. It is not. It is about your ability to put the ball quickly to a place that's relatively far from you, either outside the hashes or like on a 20 yard in cut where if, if you leave that thing floating, it's a, it's going to be grabbed by the safety. Right. And Casey is deficient there and he can, he can quarterback around that. Right. And, and if he does, he's still an effective player and he's still a potentially very effective starter. But if he doesn't get that recognition, and, and if he keeps playing this way, he did the same thing against Colorado, where he played an amazing game, but he ricocheted a ball outside the hashes off a corner's chest, right? And, and it's the same mistakes that, that we see from him. So if he's going to sell, I am senior game manager, put the offense in my capable hands, I'm going to make you right, I'm going to execute the offense, you can't be making those kinds of throws. Excellent point, and you're right. It's why you can foresee Sark wanting wanting Thompson to at least start the year with this job um, and Hudson Card coming in at some point throughout the year. Yeah, and for Hudson, I would say he didn't get very good protection. He scored on a drive where his receivers were Gunner Helm. Uh, hold on. Gunner Helm. Kai Money. Kai Money transferred and hit the portal and played some pretty disinterested football in the oh, spring game man and mark yeah i think so i think he well actually well, i think inside texas had been saying for months that epps was probably on the way out Jeez. so uh marcus washington was the primary receiver on that scoring drive and so hudson card was not given sort of the optimal personnel but he still showed some things what he's got to work on is getting the ball out and i understand he wants to create i understand he wants to make a play I understand the offensive line play wasn't great in front of him. He self-sacked, mm, I'd say twice, yeah. one and a half times. And he, he just has got to get the ball out. And I can tell you, that is a pet peeve for Steve Sarkeesian. That dude just got done coaching Mac Jones. So he, he, he's used to seeing the ball get out quickly where it's supposed to go. And he is going to give Hudson Carter earful on that point. Yeah, well said. All right, what else you got on the quarterbacks? Anything else? Nothing, man. We just hit the spring game hard. We did. Uh, we want to talk a little NFL draft. Yeah, let's talk a little NFL draft because we've got, uh, you know, one thing that's really bad news is we talk about as we tra uh, transition from the Texas coaching staff, that Texas team, and hopefully we're going to see development as this thing continues. I think we will. Did you see the, the NFL scout who was looking at Sam Cosme tape 
and what he put out there? I did. Yeah, that was interesting. That was, uh, man, that felt like the Texas scouting report on so many of our good players, doesn't it? God, it really does. So if y'all missed it, he essentially said he was blown away that Sam Cosme played the way he did and didn't give up that many sacks. He was blown away because it shows his raw strength, athleticism, but he said the technique is such garbage. He's going to have to be completely reprogrammed (laughs) whenever he's drafted in the NFL. So that would make you think that he's probably not going in the first round, but someone sees a, uh, sees a steal that could be a first-round type player, whether it's tackle or guard, and they're just going to have to reprogram him. So if you've got a good offensive line coach, he may be a good steal in the se- uh, late second or third. I'm still holding out hope that, that, that he'll go higher in the second, and maybe he will, but it says a lot about the Texas coaching staff, previous yeah. one. Well, I-, I believe he'll go in the second still. Um, but again, I don't know, man. Uh, well, you know what that bums me out is you and I know the deficiencies of Joseph Osai, but we also know his strengths. He's not even being discussed. I mean, I understand people have him projected as a uh, probably a second rounder, but I, when I hear these guys hold forth about different edge guys, I mean, you hear a lot about uh, Karamoa, you hear a lot about these different guys. They don't even talk about Joseph Osai. What, what's that about? No, it's a good uh, – you look – a lot of it has to do with with they don't know how he fits in a three four or four three and where exactly do you play him and so it's probably more of a three four fit on the outside but they're not sure about that um, so I keep on reading and hearing about that but then also he didn't have enough of a, a repertoire of moves but that that gets back to the Texas coaching staff this guy has a very high football IQ he's got a motor that you're just not going to replace if he was able to win that often without having a lot of counter moves, when, what is he going to look like? So I, I, w- I would look at that and kind of flip it around and say, well, there's still a lot of stuff that can be taught there. This is nowhere near a finished product, and this is probably a pretty good buy for where you're going to get him. So I think he'll go in the second. I'm hoping he will. He'll, if, he's, if he's available in the third, he's going to go early. Oh, there's no question. And I, I can't see that happening. And, and honestly, if that happens, it, it would be an incredible steal for that team, in my opinion. Uh, but, yeah, I think, it is an, I think it was like if you want to make a stock market analogy, I think these guys are fundamentally strong businesses that had bad CEOs. And if the business underlying is good, that's what you should be evaluating if you believe you can coach football. Interesting. That's a good way to look at it. Really good way to look at it. Yeah. And you, uh, who else? I mean, what else do you want to talk about? You want to get to your Cowboys or the Niners, no, the quarterbacks? I, I, well, the quarterback. Let's talk about that because there's not people talking about the quarterbacks in the draft, Kevin. We need to add our two cents. Of course. Of uh, course. Um, so right, would, I, would you go you Trevor Lawrence? That, uh, you know what? I think Zach Wilson is just is just as intriguing. And I understand that Trevor Lawrence has the pedigree. He's got the competition. He's got, he's, you know, he looks the part. He's 6'5". He's got the big arm. I think Zach Wilson is a special thrower. I agree. I'm trained early, and I'm all about him. I would start from Lawrence as a passer as the best college quarterback I've ever seen. For your job security as a GM, you better take Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Right? Because if you're wrong on the obvious guy – that is that is a level of resentment that can never be overcome from ownership or your fan base. I'm just saying, uh, let's not be shocked if we look back, if, if, a, if there's a healthy Zach Wilson, right, that this is the guy that was special and how could we not see it? The Patrick Mahomes thing. Yeah. Right? Uh, and, and so I got to say, Chris Sims, I know people think these are hot takes. They're not hot takes. Chris Sims has been saying, I think Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence are clearly a cut above. He prefers Zach Wilson. And he is not as big on Mac Jones, right, who seems to have elevated his stock, uh, which I and, – and he sort of just views these guys differently. And I got to say, people are accusing Chris of trying to just be a contrarian. I don't think that's it. Chris does not buy into the gutty winner narrative bullshit that everyone floats about a quarterback. He's a winner. He's just a winner. You know, you say someone's a winner because you don't know what you're looking at, right? right? And now we can relate that to Chris's own college career <laughs> with major athlete, right. and there's some psychology there we don't need to delve into. But what Chris does look at very well is tools, 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 tools. So Chris Sims was higher than everyone else on Josh Allen. He was higher than everyone else on Patrick Mahomes. 
and he's higher than everyone else on Zach Wilson. Yeah, no, he's been the of uh, the major ones, the main people you hear talking about it. He has been the most correct about than any of them. I mean, he's been he's been dead on on most of it the last like four or five years. And you mentioned a couple guys right there. So yeah, he's got Justin Fields in his latest mock going thirty second overall. What I where I do agree with Chris is that, and I was looking at the all the first round quarterbacks taken going back to 2000 and more than 50% of the time it there's guys that you knew shouldn't have been in that first round like a Paxton Lynch and oh my god and, and they get thrown in there so there's usually one or two great quarterbacks everyone wants that class of 83 where you had four or five and that, that's an aberration so these people start believing and these people being the professionals the scouts really start believing their own shit and they elevate these guys when if you watch college football, you have a pretty good idea who's going to who's a first round type guy and who's not. Or certainly who's a guy that is definitely going to be a, a good starting quarterback in the league. And I guess some of that, too, is just the desperation just to have anyone at that position that the risk reward doesn't matter to them. I mean, they'll take the risk and because the reward is so huge if they happen to hit on someone. But I kind of feel like we're doing that this year. Well, there's some incompetent GMs out there, right? And, and I mean, really don't know what they're doing. And they've built up their reputation, frankly, by just getting in good with an owner and, and you know, talking right and saying the right words. And the truth is, I mean, we, they created Christian Ponder as a thing. They created Jake Locker as a thing. I, can wa- I watched Jake Locker play, and this, of course, ties into Sark. Sark's a good developer of the quarterback. He did everything he could with the guy. I watched Jake Locker play at Washington, and literally in 10 plays, I could tell you, not only is he not an NFL quarterback, he, he will not be in the league very long. And they turned him into the number eight pick in the NFL draft, Tennessee right. Titans. Yeah. No. It's, it's incredible. It, it is. And going through it, I mean, look, there was one year in 2014, you got Blake Bortles, Manziel, Manziel, Bridgewater. Bridgewater would be the only one out of that. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. I'm looking at the 2012 year that you're talking about. I mean, almost every single year, I would say 16 out of the 20 I'm talking about here, there's at least one quarterback and a majority of those two that make no sense and made no sense at the time. Yeah, it's exactly right. And they have this need to manufacture it. And they're manufacturing it in a year, even when there's talent. I, I would think I think this is a good quarterback talent year uh, yeah. in this class. I, I think out of but, Lance Fields and, and Mac Jones, I think one one of those guys is going to hit. I'm not sure who it is. Um, I, I know Mac Jones for the Niners is probably the best chance to win right now. He processes really well. His ceiling's not as high as the other guys, but I think there's a better chance he's at least going to be adequate. I'm concerned about Mac Jones and the, the Shanahan thing because I have a huge respect for Kyle, obviously as an offensive mind and a quarterback evaluator, but I wonder how much of his evaluation is being shaded by his frustration with the current guy because Jimmy G famously doesn't process. He doesn't see the freaking awesome play that Shanahan designed for him, right? Yeah. And he keeps screwing it up, and he did that, of course, in the Super Bowl. Multiple easy layup throws that Shanahan had designed, and Shanahan is just sitting on the sideline going, dude, just like, just throw the ball right. where I'm telling you it's going to be happening. It's right there. And so is he now falling in love with a very mediocre, skilled quarterback with outstanding processing who was elevated by as good a supporting cast as you'll find in the history of college football? Great take. That's why you're so brilliant. And yes, I do that with girlfriends. Whatever the la- <laughs> yes, seriously, exactly. whatever the last one was inadequate at, or just r- stuff that really pissed me off. I, uh, you know, if I meet a girl and the next, you know, after the relationship's over with, of course, and she has those traits, I just ignore everything else. I'm so blown away at how good you are at this, and how my previous girlfriend was so bad at that. The classic oversteering, and you and I have talked about it offline in politics. Right. We've also talked about it in our, our famous You're So Money, You Don't Even Hire Like It. It's our exhaustive review of the history of Texas football coaching hires. You guys can search for that on iTunes and find it. Uh, it's still getting a bunch of listens, which is amusing to me. But 
it's the classic oversteer. It's human psychology. And I, I'm really wondering if Mac Jones is a beneficiary of that because it's the same deal that happened with Jared Goff and Sean McVay. Sean McVay is like, hey, monkey, I designed this. The guy's open. There's not even a read here. Just throw it. Right. Why are you holding on to the ball? And then, of course, he gets frustrated, dishes him, and they get Matt Stafford, and they just want to see if a steady NFL veteran could, can make it happen. So I think some of these coaches, as brilliant as they are, I wonder if they, are, if they have sufficient distance from their own management of the problem such that they're, they're really affecting their own outcome and evaluation. I think you nailed it, man. All right, we're at 105. i got to get ready for the next show. Uh, always fun, man. It flies by. We'll definitely do more NFL draft stuff next week once we find out where these guys actually went. Yeah, absolutely. And some of these guys are about to have a big increase in their net worth. Mm -hmm. Their financial lives are about to take off. You know what? You don't have to be an NFL quarterback for that to happen. No, you don't. You just got to talk to David McClellan. He's part of our family, fiduciary financial advisor. He's from Forum Financial, and he's really seen every part of the market. It's one of the things I love about him. He's, uh, but he's been a, a financial consultant and doing a hell of a job in that fiduciary is important because he's going to act in your best interest. Uh, he's uh, actually obligated to do that. David's practice does specialize in financial life coaching, also retirement planning. And right now he's offering free consultations. That's for anyone who's listening to the podcast. So find out where you are. Find out where you could be. Find out your financial freedom number and maybe some things you could be doing differently to build that wealth. Give him a call. 312-933-8823. 312-933-8823. Or dmcclellan at forumfin.com. 